Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Matthew 9, 27 through 34. If you have a Bible, uh, please turn there. If you don't, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you or those of you who are the faithful in the front row, like, like Rick preached last week, uh, uh, you can reach beh- the chair behind you. So um, 814 is what page that's on, and our text is chapter 9, verse 27 through 34. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Amen. This is God's word. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 8, says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, We thank you um, that our our great reward um, of walking with you is your love um, through your son um, and and getting to to be with Christ forevermore. And so, Lord, may that be what we treasure this morning. Uh, May may Christ's presence in us um, and with us uh, be, be viewed in our lives as, as, our, as our great reward, um, as our great treasure. Um, and so, Lord, we need your help even in, in treasuring what ought to be treasured. Um, we need your help this morning, hearing your word, uh, responding to your word, um, obeying your word. Um, and so, so, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, uh, make us into the things that we're not, help us to, to understand the things that we don't understand. And um, we, we submit ourselves to you. Um, and the authority of your word this morning in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. I, want to, I do want to read one other passage of scripture, Psalm 146. Um, I think it frames up uh, our text well this morning and um, is, is maybe even a, another call to worship for us in our, in our, in our text today. Um, Psalm 146. I'm just going to read the whole chapter. Um, and so if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, but Psalm 146 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. 
The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Psalm 146 um, says in there, in verse 8, that the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Um, And so today we're going to see that. We're going to see that our Lord Jesus uh, opens the eyes of the blind. And so... um, very excited, and like I have already mentioned, very excited to have uh, several front row uh, guests with us this morning as, uh, as, as Rick invited us. And as you can see, Rick is not a hypocrite. Uh, Rick, Rick is front and center uh, right here on the front row. And so he's not a hypocrite, and all the rest of you are just hard-hearted, and you didn't listen. So um, just, just kidding. Really appreciate Rick's heart. Rick for like three weeks was like, hey, we need, to, we need to say something. So finally he was like, okay, I'll just say it, all right? And so he came and said, all right, I'm gonna say it. Rick is, uh, Rick's just got a, a good, good heart and a good, good eye for um, how to best welcome people. And um, I pray that as a church, we'll uh, continue in that because uh, I feel like we're a church that's, that, uh, that exemplifies the same character. And so um, glad that you're here today and uh, looking forward to... To our time in this text. And so uh, as I was studying this, as I've been studying this this week and looking into the miracles of Jesus um, and, and really what Jesus does in these two sections, you see that we're covering kind of two sections um, in the text, verses 27 through 34. Um, I, I began to kind of look a little bit into um, how other religions and how other um, people view miracles. And, and so what I found is, is that one thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion is miracles. Now, maybe, maybe you're thinking many religions allow or, have, um, or believe in miracles, and you would be correct in saying that. There are other religions across the world that kind of believe in, in, in miracles and things, but only Christianity depends on miracles, There are other religions that believe in miracles, but only Christianity depends on miracles, namely the miracle of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know if you ever thought of of the the conception of Jesus as miraculous, Uh, but but if you know how birth works, um, then the virgin birth is quite a miracle. Uh, We believe in the miracles that Jesus performed while on the earth. Uh, We believe most notably and the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus, right? Um, quite the miracle. Um, and so we embrace miracles. Now, not only religions, but many philosophies as well have deep within their core system really kind of a fear of miracles, and not only miracles, but faith. Um, and so there's, there's philosophies that really have within their, 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 their core system and how they understand things. That there's, there's kind of this, this fear of faith. It, it, that many philosophies seek a kind of certainty that at the end of the day deeply fears embracing something in faith. Now, the, and, and those who do embrace something in faith, according to many philosophies, um, that those who do embrace something in faith are flawed, that, that, that surely you can't know with certainty, and so embracing something in faith is flawed. But, but I would always argue with that, that much of what philosophy embraces is also embraced in faith. They just kind of, we, we, we just kind of package it in different ways. And so here's the thing with Christianity. Christianity does not fear faith. Christianity completely embraces faith completely embraces that what we believe in is embraced by faith. And we have 
no fear and no qualms in admitting that. Again, many philosophies, that's, the, that's, that's like the worst thing that could possibly happen to embrace sim- something simply by faith. And what Christianity would say is, that's who we are. We are, a, we are a people of faith by God's grace. And so Christianity admits that what it believes is accepted by faith. And not only that, that the faith through which we embrace what we believe is given to us as a gift by the grace of God. Man, what a, a beautiful reality. And so, and here's the thing with faith. Faith is not, as some people would say, like out in the ether, right? It's not theoretical, um, and, and so some of the question is, 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 is what is the substance of that faith? What is, what, um, what, is the, uh, what, is, what is our faith actually in? And we would say our faith is not only in what God has given to us by faith, but in the historical person of Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose from the grave. There is actual substance to this. And so faith is not in the ether. The power of my faith is not in the ether, but the one in whom my faith is certain, and that's Jesus. And so there are various themes at play in Matthew chapter 8 and 9. Um, and and as, we, as we've talked about, so much that they really deserve their own series. As I was kind of looking at how other churches and other pastors have preached through these texts, a lot of them in a teaching through the book of Matthew, will actually separate these two chapters and just make it its own series uh, because there is such a theme of the authority and the mercy and the compassion and the grace of Jesus. And it's really worth highlighting. I really hope that what you've seen over these last couple of months as we've been in these two chapters is that this is a, a block of scripture that we must view through that lens that Matthew is developing for us a very important and foundational theme for how we ought to progress throughout the rest of the book of Matthew. In fact, it seems that the most immediate, as we've talked about, the most immediate and obvious theme is this authority of Jesus. But as we, as we venture through these two chapters, we also see Jesus not, 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 uh, we see Jesus not only exhibit great faith, uh, we see Jesus commend great, or sorry, great authority, we see Jesus commend great faith. He commends great faith over and over again in people. We see Jesus display great mercy and compassion. In fact, the two chap- the, the, these two chapters, 8 and 9, really have as their bookends, if you go to the end of chapter 7 and see the way that chapter 8 begins and then look at the way that chapter 9 ends, the bookends of these two chapters are the authority of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus. And so we see both of these themes at play, um, and next week, as we close out chapter 9, we're going to really dig in to this theme of the compassion of Jesus. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And so in today's text, we see the narratives of the specific healings kind of come to a close. Um, we, we, we read these two things, and there's one more section after this, but, but really the, the, the narratives of specific healings come to a close, and I want us to focus on two things in this text. That's why you need your Bible. You need your Bible because I want you to make sure we're preaching it um, and, and that you're following along. And so we're going to see... What we've seen every week, and if you're like, hey, that drum is getting loud and it's getting old, then we're just going to keep beating that drum, okay? Um, the first thing that we're going to see is the authority of Jesus, and you're like, we've already seen that. Well, Matthew knows that, and he tells us, that he tells us it again. Um, and so we're going to see the authority of Jesus, and then we're going to see two stories of blindness. Maybe if you've read through this, you're like, there's actually one story of blindness. There's two men, but we're going to read about two stories of blindness, and so Here's, here's what I want us to see in the authority of Jesus. My hope is that we can walk away from this, these two chapters as a church 
um, that, that, that we can walk away knowing that at, one, at what may at one time have seemed like random, disconnected, but cool stories, um, that we see something very important established. I, I don't want us to walk away from this text to see in these random stories spurs throughout these two chapters, like uh, what, what does this mean and what does this mean, but that as we have read it, as we have studied it, you see they're all connected by a thread, the thread of the authority and the compassion of Jesus. And so here's, I don't know if you're like me, but, but growing up hearing the stories of the miracles of Jesus was really confusing. Sometimes it was discouraging, um, and, and, and we just don't know what the point is, and it's not uncommon for us to feel discouraged or perplexed by these stories, often because of the ways that they are taught, we often miss that there is an angle that Matthew, the writer of this gospel, is after. What, again, what, that, what is that? The authority and the compassion of Jesus. And so if we have taught that faithfully, that the authority and the compassion of Jesus is on full display, then we ought to see and we ought to be able to recognize really how crushing it is for us to take these texts and apply them to what we are to do. We kind of talked about that in the very beginning of this. And so we, we see these miracles of Jesus. And, and so many times in, in, in churches and, and the way that this is preached, there's some sort of drive-at-home application of what we are to do. And let me just tell you, that will crush you. Because this isn't telling us something about what you are to do or, or how we are to necessarily be. Rather, it is intended to tell us who Jesus is and what he has done. It's, it's intended for us to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto who Christ is. And so it is out of the gate that Matthew presents to the readers not who they are, but who Jesus is and, and who, Jesus is pro, this, who this Jesus is that is proclaimed and is to be believed upon. Let's read Matthew 9, 27 and 28. We're going to see, we're gonna see a, a, an example of the authority of Jesus and what these two blind men say. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Jesus says, do you believe I'm able to do this? They say, yes, Lord. And so we have seen all throughout these two chapters that the authority that Jesus has over disease, um, over uncleanliness, over nature, over sin, and over death. And in today's text, we see that Jesus has authority and power to cure blindness and muteness. He, he, he has the authority to, to, to heal these ailments. And the authority of Jesus over blindness and muteness is not all that we see here in this text, is it? But Matthew records here the first declaration of Jesus as who? The son of, the son of David. He records the first declaration of Jesus as the son of David since the very first book, verse of the book. Since the very first verse of the book. Remember Matthew one one. How does Matthew open this up? He opens it up with that really boring genealogy, right? Um, it's, not, it's not boring. We talked about that about a year ago when we started this. It's not that boring. Um, G, uh, Matthew opens this book with highlighting the genealogy of Jesus, tying Jesus' genealogy back to David and tying the genealogy back even to, to Abraham. And so what Matthew sets out to communicate from the outset and then what Matthew is highlighting here is the faith that these people have to proclaim Jesus as that son of David. Simply this, 
Matthew is not giving us any question of Jesus is the fulfillment of all that you've been waiting for. He is the the fulfillment of the long-awaited Messiah that the Jewish people had hoped for. He himself is the son of David, the Messiah, the ultimate fulfillment and hope of the Jewish expectation. Jesus is the promised king in the heir of the throne, as 2 Samuel 7, 13 talks about. And, And not only that, Matthew would say in the beginning, he is not only the son of David, but he is also the son of Abraham. And so what Matthew does is he ties this promise of this man not only back to David, but to Abraham when God promises Abraham a son and to be great among the nations in Genesis chapter 15. Matthew's saying, hey, this is, this is who we claim Christ to be. This is who we say that Jesus is. And so Matthew goes further than just presenting him as the son of David and son of Abraham, but what else? The son of God. Not only is he the son of David, son of Abraham, the son of man. He is the son of God. And and here's just simply where I want to kind of land this plane with authority in these texts. Because next week, we're not going to see it quite as clear. But here's where I want us to land as we come to a close in chapter nine is this. Don't leave this place unaware. I, I truly believe your life depends on it. Have you ever, um, have you ever like break, broken out in like cold sweats um, just hoping that the, the Mormons don't knock on your door? <laughs> come on, be honest. Like, like you know what they're going to do when they come to your door, right? They're going to attempt to completely dismantle Jesus being the son of God. Jesus being the Messiah. And by the way, there's a lot of other religions who are going to seek to do the same thing. They're going to completely dismantle your thought that Jesus ever claims to be God. I remember a time seeing Mormons coming down the street and being like, man, I, I got to go. Breaking out in cold sweats and like, I, I don't want to go. But church, I hope that with Matthew 8 and 9, you have a little bit of a response to Uh, in saying, hey, not only does Jesus claim to be that, the scriptures over and over and over and over again claim who Jesus is. That's why I hope that you don't walk away from Matthew 8 and 9 thinking, all right, how am I to perform miracles like Jesus? that's, That's not the point of the chapters. The point of the chapters is for you to understand who Jesus claims himself to be, who the Christian faith builds its faith upon on who Jesus is. And so church, it is vitally important that we don't leave this place unaware of who the scriptures claim Jesus to be. Our, our lives, our faith really, I mean, I, I, I don't want to overstate it, uh, but our faith really depends on it. Our faith depends on that Jesus is the son of God, the resurrected one, the one who, who died and who came back to life. And, and these two blind men, the text tells us, they see that. The blind men, even in their physical blindness, are are being awakened spiritually to the reality of who Jesus is and what he's able to do. And so do not miss what the works of Jesus prove Jesus to be as we will see unfold in these following verses. And so then we have two stories of blindness. Let's read 28 through 31. I think I read a little too far on the last one, but we'll read 28 through 31. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. And so Jesus turns to the two men 
who have asked him for mercy, asking them if he is able to do this. Able to do what? Did you notice the, the question that these men ask? They're blind. Did you notice that the question that they, that they ask him is not necessarily healing, but for mercy? Now, I, I, don't, I don't want us to dig too deep into that. We'll go kind of deep. We'll go kind of deep into it. We're not gonna go too deeply into it, but it's very interesting that you've got these two sections together, and hopefully that will pull all together here in just a moment. It's very interesting, these two blind men, where other instances throughout these two chapters, people have approached Jesus asking him for healing, for intervention, uh, for, for those kinds of things. And Matthew adds these two stories at the end of these chapters, and the way that Jesus is approached is that they are asking Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah, for mercy. They're asking him for mercy. It's not healing they ask for. And in Leviticus 19, you know Leviticus, that one book that you get to in your Bible reading plan and you just drop off? That one. Uh, Leviticus 19.14. Um, it's, it's okay. I, I'm not trying to tell you that like I've, I've read it faithfully. I, I cross-reference this, okay? It's just a cross-reference. That's, it, I'll be honest. That's pretty much the only time I go to Leviticus. Um, Leviticus is awesome though, right, Jordan? Jordan, if you wanna know everything about Leviticus, ask Jordan because he is the holier, holiest one in here and will tell you that you need Leviticus. And so, um, no, Leviticus is awesome and it's the word of God and the word of God never fades, right? Um, it is, it is, it is an actually wonderful book. It gives us great insight, especially into this situation because in Leviticus 19, 14, um, what you're waiting for me to say is because, what, because of what you probably know about Leviticus, what you're waiting for me to say is that blindness was, is some sort of uncleanliness or, or something. But what Leviticus 19.14 actually says, um, let's go there, actually. You don't have to go there. You don't know where it is. Um, just kidding. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I don't know where it is either. Gen uh, Le Leviticus 19.14 says, you shall, uh, let's read 13 to 14. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. And so Leviticus 19.14, blindness seems to be a very common victim of being treated unfairly and poorly. Uh, thus God's command to not treat people who are blind and mute in an unfair, unjust way. And so in Leviticus 19.14, that's what we see about blindness. That's what the law tells us about blindness. But you're going to have to bear with me here, okay? But in many Old Testament cases, I, let me give you the references if you want to take notes and you want to check me on this. In many Old Testament cases, Genesis 19, 2 Kings 6, Elisha, the story of Elisha, um, Judges 16, you remember Samson? Um, blindness was often the result of judgment, or the punishment for sin. Now, I'm not making a direct correlation to, to, to where we are today. That's a whole other conversation that, that, we, that we ought to have because those are Old Testament examples. And so many of you are probably thinking about John 9. You remember John 9, um, where, where it is assumed that a, a man who is blind there is the result of sin. And Jesus says, no, it's not. And so this is not a prescriptive way for us to fully understand blindness but, the, but the, the first what we learn in John 9 case is that it's not the result of sin. 
in him. They said, is, is, is his blindness because of sin in his life or his, his, his parents' life? And, and so what we learn in that case is it's not, but they're not out of line for asking the question. Like you, you see that, right? That a lot of times it's easy to villainize the Pharisees, which we will do here in just a second. We'll get there, okay? Um, it's often easy to kind of villainize them, but it's actually, so, I don't even, I can't remember in John 9 if it's the Pharisees who ask, but, who, but, but whoever is asking has at least some Old Testament understanding that blindness often was struck those who were being judged by God. Sodom and Gomorrah, what was, the, what was kind of the, 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 the outpouring of the judgment of God there? They were blinded. Samson, for disobeying, was, was blinded. Um, even, even Saul in Acts 9, some people could, could kind of, Acts 9 and 13, 13 is Saul, Paul rem, uh, recalling his story. Um, even Saul in Acts 9 and 13, there's blindness there. Now, I'm not necessarily associating that with judgment or with punishment, but all I'm trying to say is, is that there are, are, are valid Old Testament references to blindness being the case uh, of judgment, being a result of judgment. And so in this request to Jesus, these two blind men, they may not be, they, again, we're going to kind of talk, about, talk kind of in somewhat soft terms here because we, we don't know for certain. But it is interesting that blind men ask Jesus for mercy and not for healing. And, and so in this request to Jesus, they may not be indicating that their judgment is, or that their blindness is due to judgment, but it does signify at least, I think we can stand firmly on this, it does signify at least that their request is for more than just physical, physical healing. Would you agree? You don't have to agree. But let me just kind of rhetorical, because I don't know what I'd do if I saw someone like, nope, don't agree. Don't know what I'd do here. We can talk afterwards. But I just, I want you to see that, it's, that, that there, there may be something more at play here than him just asking for physical healing for his blindness. He's coming, they're coming to Jesus and asking for mercy, and Jesus asks if they believe that he's able. Now, here's the deal. I don't see any reason. Some people, would, some people might would, would say this if you, if you read too much, but I don't see any reason to believe that these two men are not physically blind. They're certainly physically blind. Um, I, I, I looked at the Greek, and blind means blind. Um, and so that, that's, that's about the extent of my knowledge right there. But what they are doing is they're crying out to Jesus for mercy. They're, they're calling out to Jesus for mercy because they believe that Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, is not only able to heal but is able to show mercy. We don't know their stories. We're not given why they say what they say, but I do believe that we see an act of genuine faith at play here. We see an act of genuine faith in these men. We see that not only in their profession of Jesus as the son of David, but in their cry for mercy. By the way, the son of David that, we, that is talked about as early as 2 Samuel chapter 7, the son of David was predicted and prophesied to be one not only with authority... Sorry, my peripherals kind of went off. That's nobody's fault, That's except for the computer. The son of David was predicted and prophesied not only to be one who carried great authority, but one who showed great mercy. Can we just see that? As next week especially, we're going to see. That there's, there's something that really sticks out to him next week. I'm going to give you kind of a, a teaser for this. The, the authority of Jesus points to his deity as much as his mercy does. Exodus, God introduces himself to his people. 
He essentially says, this is my name, Exodus 34. Here's my name. And what what does God tell his covenant people what his name is? He says, I am am a, a merciful God abounding in steadfast love, not, not, uh, not overlooking the sins of the generations, but a, but, a, but a God who is slow to anger, quick to show mercy. That is how God introduces us to himself. And so for, for those, there's some of us that like, man, we love the, the authority and the table turn in nature of Jesus, right? And we love that Jesus. Give me that Jesus because I can go flip some tables in a heartbeat, and hey, there, there's, there's times for that. But the, the mercy of Jesus points to the character of God as much as the authority of Jesus does. Like, the authority shows us that Jesus is God, so, so does his mercy. We're gonna see that in a pretty powerful way next week. In fact, Psalm 72, 12. Let's go there. Would someone read that? Just read it aloud. Psalm 72, 12. 12 and 13, actually. Amen. I don't know who that was that almost started reading with him, but we have one more. So whoever that was, Luke chapter 1, verse 78. Let's, let's start in verse 76 and go through 79 of Luke 1. And so the son of David was predicted and proclaimed not only one as one coming with great authority as the king of, as the son of David, but as one who would show and demonstrate great mercy to his people. And so whether or not, here's, here's what we need to see when we're kind of teasing out, how do we best understand what Matthew is doing here? Is it about the miracles that I'm to perform or is it about the miracles that Jesus performed? Well, here's another thing that we need to see. Because whether or not the blindness of these two men um, is, is due to judgment is, is very likely beside the point. What is not beside the point is that we have a Messiah, a, a Savior, a Lord who is both able and willing not only to physically heal but to show sinners mercy but to show mercy to people who are in need of mercy and who do not deserve it. So the hope and the promise of this coming Messiah, again, was not only bound up in the power that he would display, but in the mercy that he would show to the people. Man, what a powerful thing for us to know. That it's both the authority of Jesus and, as we'll see next week, the compassion and the mercy of Jesus who show us who God is. One of my professors says, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to know who God is? Look at Christ. The scriptures tell us that. Colossians 1 says he is the exact imprint. Maybe that's Hebrews. Um, and Colossians 1 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the exact imprint. You want to know what our great God is like? Look at Christ. Look at Jesus. 
But this is not the only instance of blindness that we see in this text. Let's read verses 32 through 34 of Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 32 through 34 says, As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man was mute, who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. And so from here we have another instance of blindness. Um, so you may see that the scenario here is the inability to talk. You're right. You're exactly right. That's exactly what the text says. There is a, there is a um, demon-possessed man, oppressed man who was mute and was brought to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. Another display of the authority and the power of, of Jesus. And I was, I was reading these two chapters again, and and it is unusual for a story in these two chapters. I'm gonna, I, I, didn't, I, I couldn't quite count it up. I probably could have, but I didn't want to get it wrong. But I was reading these two chapters, and it is highly unusual for a story of healing in these two chapters to be told where faith is not mentioned. You see that? Like, you don't see Jesus acknowledging their faith. You don't, um, you don't, you don't see Jesus asking him, are you able to, uh, do you think I'm able to do this? You don't see someone proclaiming something. And so in, the, in, the, in these other accounts, the faith of the characters um, of the story is really important component to what is being told. Like we said, Jesus is authoritative and compassionate, but he also throughout these two chapters of the theme that he commends great faith. And that's an important thing for us to see. It may not be the main thing, maybe it is, but it's at least a, a very consistent thread throughout these chapters. And so for healing like this to take place and no faith to be mentioned is, as you can see, a little bit unusual. But let me just throw this out to you. Faith in this story is present. Faith in this section is present. Is it, is it mentioned the way that it's been mentioned before? No. But the faith present in this account is the absence of it in the Pharisees. The faith that's present in this account is the lack of faith that the Pharisees exhibit. This is a healing, and it does continue to affirm the power and the authority of Jesus, but what we are most likely meant to see is the faithless response of these Pharisees. And this is what's so amazing. These blind men, who we don't know a whole lot about, these blind men, it's kind of like an irony. It's a beautiful irony. You know that these gospel writers... They are, they're inspired and led by the Holy Spirit as they write, but you know they also kind of have personalities. You, you know that, right? These were, these were men who wrote by the authority and the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit, but there's, there's, there's things in here that, they're gonna, that the Holy Spirit's gonna craft for us to see. There's somewhat of an irony in that the blind men were able to see what the Pharisees could not. Despite all of their clout, despite all of their knowledge, Despite all of their, their reputation, the, the hearts of the Pharisees remained blind to who Jesus was. So this is what's amazing in these two chapters. This is why it's so important to read this as a chunk. What the, what the leper, what the, what the Gentile centurion, what the sick, what the demon possessed, what the paralytic, the tax collector, what the synagogue leader, what the woman with the issue of blood, what the blind men saw, these relig- religious leaders could not see. And so you've got Matthew showing, hey, what kind of people is Jesus coming to after? And guess what? Jesus tells us, came to call not the righteous, but sinners. 
And these men who thought that they were righteous and not sinners in need of deliverance were not able to see the mercy that was right before them. They were not able to see the authority was right, that was right before them. And this is where Matthew's account of miracles of Jesus really kind of comes to a close. Like, like you have these amazing displays of faith in Jesus and Jesus' great power and Jesus' great ability and Jesus' great willingness. And then Matthew kind of ties up that whole thing with this big statement by the Pharisees that says, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. What an opposite reaction than everyone else that we've seen in this text who Jesus interacts with and, and, and come to Jesus. What an opposite reaction this really is. And so again, Matthew kind of ties up the, the, his miracle stories with this. But here's, here's the thing. Here's why we know that there is a great theme of blindness that we are to catch here. Uh, because throughout the remainder of the book of Matthew, the blindness of those who don't believe who Jesus is, who he says he is, remains a theme. Have you ever read Matthew 23 and 24? Jesus is... That's one of them, turn that, that's your turntable Jesus. If you want turntable Jesus, go there. But turntable Jesus is not the only kind of Jesus that we have. These Pharisees will not and cannot see Jesus for who he really is, and it's because of the blindness that darkens their eyes. Let's go, to Matthew, let's go to Matthew 23. I'll just show you real quick. We're not gonna read these verses, but I'm gonna give you the verses that you can see. Matthew chapter 23, verse 16 Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 16, he calls them blind guides. Verse 17, blind fools. Verse 19, you blind men. <laughs> Verse 24, you blind guides. Again, verse 26, you blind Pharisee. Spiritual blindness is a theme throughout the remainder of this book. And we ought to see that what, Jesus, what Matthew is showing us here is that there are responses to Jesus. There are responses and, and faith to who Jesus is. And by the way, Jesus will respond to this outrageous claim that he drives out demons by the power of Satan in Matthew 12. A lot of you know like the unpardonable sin and everybody's afraid that you're gonna accidentally commit it, right? I don't, I don't know about you, but growing up, I was like, oh man, I hope I don't commit the unpardonable sin. <laughs> I don't think that's... I don't think that's really possible for like you just to like, I'll just commit the unpardonable sin. It's not like a, a whim of a thing. I think, it, I think what it boils down to is the unpardonable sin is unbelief. The unpardonable sin is blindness, not trusting who Jesus is. That can't be pardoned. Pardon comes through faith in Christ, through belief in who he says that he is. And here we see that the Pharisees are saying the power by which he does this is by Satan. And by the way, the, the Pharisees don't realize that, but what, that's, what, what their statement there would do is for generations and generations and generations, even to today, it actually kind of confirms that Jesus was actually doing what the scripture says that he was doing. You, you see that? So some people are like, well, no, the, the Bible's just written in such a way that, 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 that certain people wrote it to present. No, the negative reaction of the Pharisees proved for us that, no, Jesus was really doing this stuff. Because they attributed the power of Jesus to Satan. And so it actually stands as a confirmation for us. Like, no, these things aren't just fictional stories. Both those who loved and followed Jesus and those who hated him were affirming with their actions and their disbelief and their belief that Jesus really was performing what he was performing. 
So what another really beautiful irony. And so Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, he's not casting out demons and performing miracles by the power of the devil. He is casting out demons and performing miracles by his power over the devil. He's saying, hey, listen, Satan can't drive out Satan. What, what, what good would that be? And so Jesus is showing us he's not doing this by the power of the devil, but by his power over the devil, which he's already shown us, right? Cast them demons into those nasty pigs. And pigs flew over the cliff. Jesus is performing in that power. The belief of all the other characters here is contrasted with, we must see, the belief of all the other characters in Matthew 8 and 9 is contrasted with the staunch unbelief of these Pharisees. And what Jesus was doing, by the way, was not some out-of-the-blue concept. It actually would have been deeply foundational to the Jewish expectation of the coming Messiah. Let's go to Isaiah 35. Sorry I'm making you turn all over the place. It's not a bad thing to turn in your Bibles a bunch. You know that, right? Just so you know that. Isaiah 35. So again, this shows us that what Jesus is doing here is not just some out-of-the-blue concept. It's not like we've never heard that he was going to do this. No, Isaiah 35, 5. We'll read verse 6 too. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. Hey, another reason why we, another reason why we can have faith in who Christ is is because of his power to fulfill prophecy. His ability to fulfill things that thousands of years beforehand were prophesied that he would do, that things would happen. The blind would receive sight, the mute would talk, the lame would leap like jackals and deer. And that's what Jesus is showing us. So who Jesus is is literally right before their eyes. They knew all that they needed to know about the Messiah that was coming, but they didn't have faith in who Jesus was claiming to be and who at the time, people were responding to in faith. They had all the proof that they needed, right? I mean, the Pharisees literally had all, the, they, they admitted that by what they said. He's casting out demons. By, what they were saying is like, he's doing some crazy stuff here. It's just not by the power of God, it's by the power of Satan. They had all the proof that they could have possibly needed, but they refused to have faith. As 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4 says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Here, there's that word again, blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The great irony here is that it was the, 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 the physically blind were healed. And the great irony is, is that the religious elite were blinded refusing to believe by faith. And so there's, there's two conquerings that sa of Satan that Jesus displays. Jesus displays two, Jesus conquers Satan from two angles. Um, the miracle over the physical blindness and the miracle over the spiritual blindness. Family, I want you to hear something. 
If you see Jesus, if your eyes have been opened, it's because at one time, though 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that the, the, your mind was blinded by the God of this world, not the big G, the little G, Satan, that at one time your eyes were blinded, but because of grace and because of mercy, Jesus healed your blindness to the light of the gospel. And he allowed you to see by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2. That once you were a child of wrath, but now because of the miracle of faith and the miracle of grace, you are a child of God and you see the thing that God says that Jesus is. That is how you came to know that. You didn't come to it by a mere intellectual or mental assent to a set of facts. Because there's some in this room who the facts have been presented to but won't, but, but won't be believed. And so it wasn't just a mere acceptance of, of intellect or, or mental assent, but because the, the God of this world at one time blinded you, but the God of this world opened your eyes to see. And so those who may be an unbeliever, this, this word, the word is before you. The word, the word is before you. So you're like, well, well how, do I, how do I see? I mean, why doesn't God let me see? Well, he has. Because the word has been proclaimed. Romans 10 says, how are they to believe on him in, in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches or proclaims or opens the book? So what Romans 10 tells us is that the, way, the means through which we come to the light is by being made aware of the truth and the light of the gospel through the word that is being proclaimed. So the word is being proclaimed before you. The word is being preached, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died and was buried so that you can have placed with God is, is placed before you. We are placing before you the light of the gospel and the truth of the gospel through the truth of his word that this is the gospel and this is the, the way in which you are saved through that. The cure for your spiritual blindness is literally before you. It's, it's laid out in front of you. You don't need a sign. You don't need a display. There's, there's two things that are true. Jesus lifts the blindness by his grace, and the blindness that we walk in as unbelievers is willful because the gospel is proclaimed. And Jesus says in John chapter 6, what is, how, how do we inherit eternal life? By what way do we come to eternal life? By believing on him who the Father has sent. By believing on him who the Father has sent. The only miracle needed is the miracle of faith and forgiveness, a gift that Jesus freely offers to all people. And to reject that is both willful and a sign that our, that our, that our eyes have been blinded by the, by the God of this world. And I know that's a hard thing to hear. Maybe there's someone that you love that, that doesn't, has never trusted Christ. This is hard. I have people in my life who haven't trusted Christ as their, as their savior and it's really difficult to hear. Can I just say the teachings of Jesus get more and more difficult? Where, where we, Jesus doesn't shy away from hell, nor will we. There's a lot on the line. There's a lot at stake here. In Christians, this is a gift that those who believe in Christ are deeply grateful for and aware of and have received by grace. Amen? If you see it, God has lifted the blindness. If you see it, you've received it by grace 
through faith. And it's a gift. You're like, how are we gonna tie this into communion? We're going to. It's a gift that we see with our eyes and taste in our mouths as we partake in the Lord's Supper each week. It's a reminder of the grace that we've been shown by Jesus, that the blindness has been lifted from your eyes because of his grace, because of what he has done for us. Folks, let me tell you, we have a, we have a savior who is both full of power and full of mercy. Lamentations uh, is, is God, we, we talk about this all the time, but I think it's so worth talking about. Lamentations, I believe it's Lamentations, <laughs> speaks of, speaks of a, a, a group of people who are calling out to God, essentially saying, why would you show mercy to these horrible, wicked, evil people? And God responds by saying, hey, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than yours. Those who you don't think deserve mercy, I will show mercy to. He is so much more merciful, so much more gracious to us than we are even ready, than, than, than we are to even receive the mercy that he gives. What a merciful, glorious Savior that we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you that you have uh, given to us salvation, you've given to us your son, um, that you have given to us um, a way through which we we live at peace with a, a holy God who will not overlook sin, a holy and just God who will not overlook sin, but through his mercy sent his son Jesus so that we can live at peace, so that our sin, that our debt can be paid. And so, Lord, would you just help us to believe this? Lord, those, who, those, those of us who are, are Christians in this room, would you just get us over this... This, this mentality that we have that, that the gospel is just something that we, we did back then. Would you just rid us of that? Like, help us to be vicious against ridding ourselves of that. Help us to confess. Help us to repent that we haven't allowed the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to drive all that we do. Our, our friendships, our relationships, our work, the spheres that you've placed us in to be stewards of. And so, Lord, just help us to, to see this beauty, this beautiful gospel that has saved us in this 1 Corinthians 15 that we are being saved by. And so help us to see that this morning. Thank you for the table. Thank you that you've provided for us a way each and every week to be reminded, Lord, that, that we are ransomed sinners forgiven by you. We love you, Father, and we ask these things in your holy name. Amen.